Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thanks for checking out this podcast. Remember, it's presented by Minnesota's very own Ticket King. If you're looking for tickets for an upcoming game or event at TCF Bank Stadium, Target Center, or XL Center, visit TicketKingOnline.com or the link from the 1500ESPN.com sports calendar page. Ticket King has all your tickets for Minnesota baseball, plus all the concerts, all the theaters, and at all venues. And Ticket King can take care of you for out-of-town concerts, sporting events, and more. Call 612-341-4141 or visit TicketKingOnline.com. For those who simply can't get enough talk about the Vikings, we present Bonus Chatter. Bonus Chatter about your favorite team that's unscripted, unfiltered, and uninterrupted. This is another edition of 1500 ESPN's Purple Podcast. Go get that first down and get a touchdown, rock em. Welcome to another episode of the Purple Podcast. My name is Andrew Kramer. I'm joined by 1500 ESPN's Judd Zogad of the Mackie and Judd Morning Show and ESPN.com's Ben Gessling. And today we're going to go over the Vikings draft. Uh, They're taking a look at top wide receiver options, but there's other positions that certainly do make sense for them at 23 overall. We'll get into what Ben thinks they're going to do and what Judd thinks they should do. Chad Greenway is close to re-signing. We'll talk to Ben about that and uh, just kind of opine on what Greenway's role might be moving forward. Uh, And then a mailbag. Uh, What else are we doing on this podcast? I don't know. You're the host. Reviews? Oh, that's right. Reviews? So no, we Joe, we can't. Comments? No, don't, hold up. We don't can't, abdicate can't, your responsibilities. Can't we do that? We can't like do – no, we can't do the review game every time because then we just kind of – one, it wears thin. Two, you need to have enough of them built up over time. So, yes, please go to iTunes, leave us reviews. We did get a few more uh, glowing, glowing reviews about Derek Wetmore, who's <laughs> not on this podcast anymore. But that aside, gentlemen, let's get into the Vikings uh, Rick Spielman now at TCU's Pro Day today watching Josh Doxson. So is head coach Mike Zimmer. Uh, to my count now, this makes four Pro Days at least where Spielman's gone personally to where they've held had a top receiver between Ohio State and Michael Thomas, uh, Baylor, Corey Coleman, Ole Miss, Laquan Treadwell, and TCU. With Mr. We call Doxson. it Ohio State around here. Ohio State, sorry. That they're clearly looking at these guys. Is this one of those normal smoke screens that you see this time of year, or you go to this many trips? It seems to be they're clearly looking at their options. I don't think this is a smoke screen at this point. I think in the in the couple of years that we've seen it, especially the ones where we've seen both Rick Spielman and Mike Zimmer there, I don't think that that is. I I don't I don't think Mike Zimmer is the type that's going to waste his time going somewhere to look at somebody that 
they aren't that interested in. I mean, we saw it last year with Trey Waynes. Yep. He spent a fair amount of time with Trey Waynes, and they, they picked him in the first round, obviously. And I'm trying to remember how much time we heard about them spending with Anthony Barr. They brought Anthony Barr in on a top 30 visit. They certainly spent a lot of time with Teddy Bridgewater. In that position, certainly you're going to devote more time to everybody just because the stakes are so high. But I think the fact that they are looking this closely and having Mike Zimmer attend this many pro days where there are top receiving targets makes me think this is not a smokescreen. That doesn't mean it's the first round, but I think they are clearly looking at their options there to see what they can bring in to help that group. And they have also met with other guys, obviously, that would be at other positions, first-round options, whether we're talking about Kansas State's Cody Whitehair, an offensive lineman, uh, Taylor Decker, the Ohio State tackle, yep. uh, Reggie Raglan, the inside linebacker out of Alabama, said on Sirius XM he will visit the Vikings next week. So they're looking at a lot of different options. Judd, what do you think they should do? Is wide receiver the right way to go? Well, you know, I said it at the outset of things that no, I wouldn't take one in the first round. That being said, when you look at what the Vikings did to the uh, – with the offensive line and free agency, the additions there, uh, the fact that the defense is pretty solid right now, I would say this. I would say wide receiver wouldn't surprise me. The only other thing, and, and I think we talked about this on the last Purple Podcast, the only other thing that I would consider doing is if there is a tackle there in the first round when your pick comes up, is that somebody that could replace Matt Khalil eventually? Because Khalil, to me, is a major concern. That being said, I'm with Ben. I don't think that they. I don't think these guys are going to go around um, spending lots of time going to vet players who are all smoke screens. The top thirty is a big smoke screen. I mean, you bring in guys that you wouldn't take there, but if you're going to go and your head coach is going to go to actual pro days, my guess is that is that is genuine. Uh, and this team very well might say, hey, look, the offensive line was a mess last year. That's improved now, which means that our quarterback can be upright. Now let's go find another option for him to pass to. So I don't see this as a smokescreen. And the only other thing I would be interested in doing is saying if we can identify a tackle that could replace Khalil, that would intrigue me. Yeah, Jed, you bring up an interesting point, too, about the top 30 basically being perhaps the biggest smokescreen of it all because these teams are allotted 30 official pre-draft visits with these guys at their facilities. Uh, and the Vikings decide to do it all at once. And they say they do that because they want to get it out of the way necessarily, not have it be a burden on everybody. I got a theory, by the way. Or really, is it really that big of a deal to them? Is that I got a theory. I think what you do is you invite 30 guys. You invite, let's say you invite six guys that you genuinely like. I think you also invite guys that are bad apples and that you wouldn't take in a million years. Spielman's big thing was always, I like to put them in the same room and see how they act together. So I think part of what you do is you invite guys that you have red marked and that you wouldn't take, but you want them in that room to see how the kids that you do like interact with the kids you with don't like. Guy. And they've yeah. certainly, yeah, and they, I think they've done that before because Marcus Peters was one of the guys last year they brought in. And just from what I heard, that visit didn't go very well. And then they end up taking Trey Wayne's 11th overall. Um, but then also you bring in four, according to Darren Wolfson, our guy at KSTP, they're bringing four gophers. It's like, okay, if you're going to take up that chunk, good chunk of your official visits, yeah, that me, feels like a red hair. It can't be yeah, that too important because I can't imagine they're going to take one, let alone four gophers. It's possible, but I just don't imagine that happening. Well, um, go ahead. The, the thing that I will say though, is that if you look at it and they're certainly going to bring in some number of players that they like, but Anthony Barr was here in the top 30. Teddy Bridgewater, they spent a lot of time with. Trey Waynes was here on a top 30. So the number, I mean, basically every first-round pick they've had in the Mike Zimmer era has been through here for some kind of a private visit. Now, 
we probably need a few more years of of track record before we say that's definitely a trend. But it like is a guy like Harrison Smith. Wasn't, Harrison Smith right? was here. Matt Khalil, I believe, was not. Oh, okay. Um, I thought they didn't talk to Harrison after the Senior Bowl. I, I feel like Harrison. I, I feel like one of those guys okay. was here, but I, I can't remember what was 2013, whether Rhodes or, or Floyd or any of those guys were there. But in recent years, the guys that they have taken in the first round have been through here for that. So, I you know I do think that there's something to keep an eye on there and maybe in a year or two if this keeps up and it keeps being guys that they had through here on top 30s then we we see a little bit of a change in the the philosophy of that event but yeah Judd I do agree that some of it is to to you look at guys that have characteristics either to say can we live with this guy or to say let's upset the balance of this conversation and right. see how these guys react to players that we know are going to be difficult to have in a room Mm -hmm. now there aren't that many of those guys this year at least high profile guys uh, that we necessarily know of I mean last year you had the Jameis Winston's uh, the Johnny Manziel's you don't necessarily have that this kid from Auburn that tried to climb Um, a window at the combine Robert Neek no 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 who's the Auburn kid that's the guy no he's Ole Miss yeah that's what I meant Uh, that kid yeah yeah he was the one yeah because he was in a room with uh with Tunstall the uh, that's right he threw him under the bus at the combine I was there when he's sitting there at the podium and he goes he goes, yeah, nobody wanted to take the fall. I think he was that guy who said nobody wanted to take yeah. the fall. I was like, okay, all right. Um, but Noah Spence, too, I think was a guy who had some drug issues, defensive lineman out of uh, Kentucky, I think it is. Yeah, Eastern Kentucky. Eastern he, Kentucky. He was, I think, at Ohio State, Ohio State before that. <laughs> but uh, So talented kid. And the Vikings, too, defensive line's an interesting one we're looking at. You bring up offensive tackle, Judd, with, uh, and they looked at guys like Taylor Decker at Ohio, at Ohio State. Uh, that's a position Ohio where State. you've got three guys – all on one-year deals on your roster. You've got to plan for the future there because you're not sure what you have on the roster. But, I mean, what about a, a position like defensive tackle or defensive end, defensive lineman, adding to that group already that Mike Zimmer uh, – Ben, you wrote a couple days ago, I think, that they could look to continue stockpiling those kind of pass rushers. I mean, what went into that? Well, I mean, Mike Zimmer said it at uh, the owners' meetings last week just talking about how important that nickel rush position has become for them. And we saw them do it with, um, with Brian Robinson quite a bit last year. I went and looked it up. Um, through our stats and info people because you apparently can't get this stuff on pro football focus anymore. Um, I Brian Robinson, I think, was on you know about 10% of his snaps last year was inside, and I think it was about a third of his third down snaps they moved him inside. So they clearly like having a guy with defensive end pass rushing skills inside on third downs. We see them do it with, with Tom Johnson, too, as a defensive tackle, and I think they they want to keep adding to the rotation of that group. So... I would not be surprised at all if they said, let's go get another pass rusher. At some point in this draft, a guy that can can sort of be a Daniil Hunter type that's a little bit more of a high-end workout guy. If you go look at those spark lists, there's a couple guys on there that, that would seem to make some sense. Yeah, you ever seen the that. Nike uh, yes, st- yes. advanced analytics or whatever? Yeah. yeah, I think some of those those types of guys mm-hmm. could be worth keeping an eye on as they get into the middle of the draft. You make a valid point about the defensive line, I think, too, when we're talking about um, the modern NFL in general. Mike Zimmer commenting always that he likes to rotate his defensive linemen, get a bunch of guys in there. I think the more bodies you can have in there, the better, especially when you've got Tom Johnson, Brian Robinson, your two-year nickel rushers over the age of 30. Um, speaking of, Chad Greenway, uh, sounds like he's going to re-sign. Uh, according to Alex Marvez of Fox Sports, first broke the news that they're imminent on a signing. Ben, you also uh, were able to pin that down, that the Vikings are inching on what should be probably, what, a one-year deal yeah. for him to return in an 11th season? Uh, and that was kind of expected. It just kind of, I think, kind of reached out a little bit longer than people thought. Why do you think it took so long? My 
hunch is, and this is, you know, I've had several conversations with Chad. He said they've been in, in talks most of the time, and I don't think that he was in a huge hurry to get anything done because I think everybody sort of knew, okay, we want you back. You want to be here. We just got to figure out the number. My guess is, and I'll be, I'll be very curious to see how the deal is structured. I would not be surprised if the Vikings said, okay, this is what we're going to offer you, and you can decide whether you want to shop around or whether you want to come back and take it, and it might have taken a little while for everybody to be happy with the numbers of it. That would be my hunch, is for it to take this long on something that's a one-year deal, it wouldn't seem like it's terribly complicated short of people not necessarily agreeing right away on the financial piece of it. That would be my guess without knowing anything concrete on that front and without having seen the numbers but i'll be very curious to see how it looks what's uh, your guys best guess um, excuse me one about his role and two about his roster certainty so how much does he go to mankato having to actually vie for and win a job on that 53 man well that'll be the interesting thing i mean that of anything i'm curious to see in the contract is how much guaranteed money he got because it's not that he needs the money but as we all know Guaranteed money is cut insurance in the NFL. If you have a lot of guaranteed money, they're saying we're going to plan for you to be on the roster and we are putting it in such a way that it's going to cost us if we, if we decide you're not on the roster. So that part of it I think will be very interesting. But knowing that they want to put Emmanuel Lemoor at the weak side spot and knowing that Chad Greenway is 33, it wouldn't shock me if he has to go in there and fight a little bit for a spot. I mean, Mike Zimmer says... He sees Greenway back in a similar role to what he did last year. But at the same time, Lamore's here on a two-year deal, making $5.5 bucks. It seems like that would be a guy you'd start on the weak side and you maybe have Chad as the backup and as the guy that sort of can, can tell everybody how to play in the system. But it'll uh, it'll be interesting to see what the contract says about some of that stuff. Yeah, speaking of guaranteed money, Emmanuel Lamore got $2 million. And that's a lot right. for a guy who's got 15 career starts and really hasn't proven himself to be a consistent starter in the NFL. And the way Mike Zimmer talked about Emmanuel at the owners' meetings last week uh, to reporters down there in Florida was basically how this kid has a lot of room to grow. I think he can be a really good player. Spoke of him in terms of potential and what he thinks he can get out of him. And I think the contract shows that. It shows that they feel like this kid can come in here uh, and really kind of compete, if not take that weak side starting spot that Chad Greenway had last year. And so that's when you look at, like Ben said, Chad's contract and have to go, okay, does the guaranteed money mean this is going to be a true competition? Sure. Or are they really expecting uh, Chad to take a back seat here? And the one thing I want to say about Zimmer's comment about him expecting Chad had to take the same role um Zimmer kind of after that Zimmer had also said well that was the same case last year and Chad ended up playing more and I think it'll be the same case this year going forward and that just kind of means to me reading between the lines that Chad might have even less of a role than he did last year and then Zimmer's just saying well maybe he'll exceed expectations again so does Chad uh, come back here most likely will make the roster most likely realistically will be a backup will serve as a pseudo-assistant coach for a year? Because my assumption is he stays here then and has a role of some sort with the team, right? I mean, That's the assumption. it, it, yeah. seem, it yeah. seems like he is is setting up, because I think this year will be year 10, is that correct? 11. 11. 11. It seems like he is uh, he's being put in line for some type of role with the organization that certainly goes beyond uh, 2016, but not a playing role. Yeah, I would. Th- I think that whether it's doing something like what E.J. Henderson does, whether it's coaching, whether it's being involved in the broadcast or being involved with with some type of radio or TV thing. I mean, let's remember he has a journalism degree. 
Yep. Or was a journalism major at least. Uh, you know, th- something like that. Mm-hmm. I have no doubt he'll be involved with the organization beyond this year. What that looks like is hard to tell exactly. I mean, he's, you know, Adam Zimmer is going to be here as the linebackers coach. Chad is, I, I think, maybe even a year older than Adam Zimmer. Um, but, he might, yeah, actually, he might be. I'm yeah, I think it's, it's they're pretty close uh, in age. I, I feel like Adam Zimmer is maybe a year younger than Chad, who Chad is a, a day older than me, so I have a pretty good idea of how old Chad is. You're an old man. I am getting there. Yeah, Chad's got one year on Adam. Yeah. So. It's weird, though, because a guy like Chad, we, we've now entered an era where a lot of these guys back in the day had to get real jobs with the teams to sustain themselves. A guy like Chad, who's probably saved really well, has enough where where he can do something he wants to do. Like, he doesn't have to go work as an assistant coach to, to yeah. you know, make his cash now. He's going to have his cash, which would lead me to believe that something like broadcasting or, or community role with the team probably makes more sense long term. Unless he wants to coach. Unless I'm wrong about this, he does not strike me as the guy who probably wants to be an assistant coach, though, because that is working long hours. Yeah, and I think, too, when you look at Chad, and just I mean, I've only been around him these three years, but uh, the sense that I get is he's somebody, like Ben said, that you, you see him doing stuff for radio stations, you see him doing stuff, and, and I think you can tell what some players want to get into that realm. Captain Marlin's one of them. Uh, he does some stuff with the Senior Bowl every year down in Mobile, his hometown. Um, and so, He's good, too. Exactly. And Chad has sure. that personality. So I could very well see that, uh, whether it's even if it's not coaching with the Vikings. They've grown their in-house media network so big. I just think that Chad is going to probably maybe had to take, like Ben said, a couple weeks to realize, okay, this is the situation I'm in. Yeah, I think that's probably what happened. I mean, Looking after his career, I mean, the fact that you have basically the two linebackers that he played with back when the team was as good as it ever got in 2009 or so, I mean, at least when he's been here, Ben Lieber and E.J. Henderson, both of those guys are involved in the organization in in the types of roles that I could see Chad taking on. Ben obviously is doing some things for VEN. He's doing some things on the on the radio broadcast, at least, you know, certainly in the preseason, doing some TV things. And EJ is involved with some of the community stuff. So there is certainly a template there with guys that Chad knows very well for him to stay involved in the organization somehow or another. I would agree with you, Judd, that I don't think he's going to be the guy that wants to be working 18-hour days, breaking down film. film. Midnight no, no. I mean, he's, he's a family guy. He, he's he got three kids that are all in school, and, and I think he wants to be involved coaching, with that. Coaching stinks unless you love it. Yeah. It's yeah, not a good job. Yeah, I, I think there's enough other things that he could do I mean, he's got a lot of goodwill in the community. He's a guy that that is well spoken. There's certainly going to be opportunities for him beyond coaching, I would expect. But um, you know, we'll we'll see what all that looks like in a year. But he certainly is a guy that I would expect is is going to be around beyond this year, if in fact this year is his last year as a player. So they brought the entire band back together. It's ten now, I think, of fourteen unrestricted free agents they had that have now come back. The only ones they've lost being Josh Robinson. Yep. Uh, Robert Blanton, Jason Trusnick. That other guy. Yeah, the other guy. And who was the fourth one, actually? Um, one of them remains unsigned, yes. Well, Josh is in Miami. Yep. Robert's in Tampa Bay. Yep. Trusnick, I don't think, is signed anymore. Yeah. And who's the other one? Who are we forgetting? Come on, oh, you're K- the beat, guys. Casey Matthews. He was on injury uh, reserve yeah. the oh, entire year. Oh, yeah, that didn't year. work out so well. He was on injury reserve the entire year. But the, my point was that the, they're bringing back everybody. I mean, this is something where I think this team feels confident in the personnel that they have and at least the coaching staff to grow and develop that personnel. They like their guys. Robert and Josh being gone is good enough for me. If you can get rid of Blanton and Robinson, I'm on board with that. that- if I had to watch those guys play another down in purple, I was going to puke. 
I think it's it's an interesting group that they've got together, but I don't know. I think overall, I thought it was good. <laughs> so safety. So is safety a position that that you guys wouldn't be shocked if they drafted four two? And I'm talking not, not first round, but I'm saying let's say first two days. So because you got the first round on Thursday now, second, third on Friday, right? Would you guys be shocked if they went with a safety in say the third round? I wouldn't be. I think just because you look at the position now and it kind of looks like a log jam when you're talking about this Sandejo who's got 13 starts from last year, Michael Griffin who's been a starter his entire career uh, to go along with Anthony Harris, the young guys they've got. I, I think though that they could add a day two pick there just knowing that Michael Griffin's at the end of his career. You know what Andrew Sandejo is. They've said that well before even last year, uh, I, which intrigues me still on the $4 million guarantee. What he is is a guy might, with a four-year contract. Mike Zimmer, yeah, you're right, might might see a lot more than we do uh, in Andrew Sandejo. Who knows? But it basically comes down to a uh, one-year guarantee, right? Sandejo it's can, basically a one-year yeah. $4 million deal, yes. right? Yeah, yeah, to that. Yeah, and he is very good. Right. Correct me if I'm wrong here, though, but he's very respected for his work on special teams. Correct? Yeah, Mike Prefer, from all accounts. See, the one thing is, I'm him. telling yeah. you guys, I do think this team did a very good job of behind the scenes, very quietly with special teams. I think the special teams next year is going to be. And granted, the kicker has to make his kicks, and the punter has to improve as well. Yeah. But I think as far as the coverage goes and things like that. I think this team made some decent, uh, retained some decent players and signed some decent guys who can contribute on special teams. Well, and that's the other piece of this when we talk about nickel rushers too. Guys that can run and are lanky make good special teams players, and that and we saw Everson Griffin do that before he took on a bigger role. Daniel Hunter did some of that. I think the linebackers that they've added certainly will do some of that. And if you keep adding guys, whether they're they're kind of smallish rushers that are tweener types or guys that have big long arms that can get around the corners and can you know whether it's on a field goal block or, or whatever it happens to be on a punt block those guys profile as good special teams body types and they've had good special teams here if they keep adding to it i think that is another reason why you could see those positions addressed yeah the names that come to mind i mean everson griffin was a great special teamer before he became full-time daniel hunter last year as well so ben's absolutely right on that um, speaking of athletes, though, how about Percy Harvin says now that at age 27 with all the talent, he's he only has, 27 years old at age 27 with all the talent. He feels is, like he's 67, right? He is going to uh, play next year. Vows to in 2016, which any normal 27 year old with his talent should. But as we know, he's not any normal 27 year old. I wish him luck wherever he lands. One of the um, one of the guys who you looked at when he was going strong and said, what a talent. And but if people think the vikings have any interest in this guy think again he put him through hell and once you've had percy in your fold you never want him back this is a guy who truly despite the talent and there's a lot of talent or there was there there's probably not as much now because he's banged up uh the baggage outweighs the talent he is the definition of pain in the ass yeah fans direct all your questions about percy harvin and the vikings to at gessling espn all right he loves fielding these i have gotten more than several questions this week for my mailbag which runs on fridays put in a, a shameless plug for that what people fridays okay so if i send one in i can I you can, can still get in friday. the problem is most of you people out there don't you, put do the mean, hashtag who's you people you people is what do you very mean, judgmental you people? that's offensive that's very ma- my twitter you want followers believe you i'm gonna send kramer a question now because you just call me you people i never all you, i I'm ask saying. is that people hashtag it with vikings mail so that i know where it goes and that seems to be a little hard for some people to grasp that rule. Probably the ones who are asking about Percy Harvin. Well, in some ways, actually, you know what? Base? 
in some ways, it is a bit of a Darwinian system because those that ask the questions that don't have the proper instructions may not be worth answering anyway. So, But I love all the questions I get, for the record. From you people. <laughs> but the people that keep asking me, are they going to re-sign Percy Harvin? No. There's no way. There's no way he's going to want to come back here. Yes, it's a different coaching staff, but it's still the same front office. They couldn't get rid of this guy fast enough a couple of years ago, even though they said they had no intent. They were completely intent on getting rid of him. He is not going to be back here. I can't imagine for a second that when you still have Rick Spielman in the building, you still have people like George Payton that were evaluating this guy. You have George Stewart, who was his position coach. There is no way in the world Percy Harvin comes back here. If he is, I will eat my hat, as they say. <laughs> Can you imagine Mike Zimmer? Make it happen. Can you imagine no. for one second Mike no. Zimmer putting no. up with 30 um, seconds no. of Percy? Now, aside from the personality things, because you're absolutely right with that and the history and them having the firsthand knowledge that nobody else in this league really does know, aside from Seattle, about what this guy is. It's just not And a f- whichever team Brad Childress is working for. True. It's not a fit. It's just not also a fit for what they're looking for either. It makes no sense. If period. Percy Harvin threw a weight at Mike Zimmer... Would there be a fist fight? Cage match. I, I would. I would not be shocked well, if Zimmer came back at him. Would forget you? about that. Percy Harvin melted down on Les Frazier. I know. Who I mean, you can't work with hell, Leslie Frazier. Not, you know what? <laughs> I am. Like I am less surprised by the fact that Percy Harvin <laughs> threw a weight across the weight room at Brad Childress, and it didn't hit Brad because somebody just closed the weight room door, and the damn thing hit the door. That surprises me less than the fact that the nicest guy on the face of the earth, who, by the way, did everything he could to make Percy happy, Les Frazier, Percy yelled at him. I mean, nobody yells at Les Frazier. Well, the, the, and not because they're afraid of him, but just because he's so damn nice. The alternative, though, is that maybe that's worse if it's not Les because they did make Percy play with Christian Ponder. So if there's a different coach there that doesn't have the calming effect that Les had, maybe it turns into something much worse than just a yelling match because... Basically any other NFL head coach. I'm yeah, just forcing thinking, Percy to play with yeah. Christian Ponder because you remember that fight on the sidelines in Seattle yeah. where Percy that was, was, for was screaming about... That was the last game he played. I'll never, I'll never with play with his quarterback again. Yeah, I mean, he basically... Yeah. I think people have said, you know, that basically just saying, you know, we should have hit that play. It wasn't throwing Ponder under the bus as much, but... Come on. Everybody knows that guys like that, when you when you put them in the quarterback like Ponder, they're not going to be happy. So the fact that he was with Ponder and it didn't turn into something worse might have been uh, a credit to Leslie Frazier's calming influence rather than the other way around. So much wasted talent there, though. Yeah, so no much question. Wa- that kid had still has some, but he had so much talent. And then, of course, the curse was his first year was with Brett Favre. So his norm became Brett Favre. Since leaving Minnesota, Harvin has started 17 career regular season games. Yeah, in a Super Bowl. in 13, 14. He's never healthy. Three full seasons, 17 regular season games, and then obviously has been Half of them have been against the Vikings, I think. He comes back and and also makes that run with the Super Bowl. And I think the only regular season game he ever played for Seattle was against against the Vikings. Vikings. Yes. And you think that was was a coincidence? That was pretty Harvin-esque. No, I don't think that was a coincidence at all. First he said, I'm fine for this week's game. Yep. Yeah, I can play against the Vikings next week. The Buccaneers, I got a migraine. Well, Man, what a talent, though. I mean, I'm just looking at some of these numbers. I mean, the return numbers, the uh, – yeah. But. The year the in wow. 2012 where Adrian Peterson won the MVP, that was my first year on the beat. And I remember the first half of that season, everybody saying, yeah, Peterson could be the MVP, but the thing that might hurt him the most is that he might not be the best candidate of his own team. Percy Harvin, the first half of that year when they were still sort of breaking Peterson back into the offense – 
Harvin was almost as big a part of it, if not a bigger part of it, than Peterson was. And then when, when Harvin went down with his injury is really when Peterson started to take off and put up all those ridiculous games of 200 yards every week. But when they had both of those guys, it was like well, it's cause Percy, good grief. Percy was is one of the smartest football players I've seen. I mean, that guy knew people's roles. And if you recall, they could line him up anywhere. Yeah. So you couldn't account for him. So, like, if it'd be fine if you went through the week, the Vikings opponent, and practiced for him with a scout team guy trying to give you a look. But the Vikings could then come out and line him up at places you necessarily didn't expect. And that made Percy incredibly dangerous. And the one thing that I've always given him that Peterson doesn't have is I always thought Percy had football smarts. And so you could afford to change things up and he could adjust to it where Peterson is basically Peterson and he has his role and that's his role. So it's too bad, man, because this guy, this kid could have been great. Could have been great if he hadn't blown it. Well, we took some mailbag questions and fortunately none of them were about Percy Harvin. Are they ripping so, Derek Send them all for me. Again, send them all to at Gessling ESPN. Yeah. Are they ripping Wetmore And if you don't chance. tag them with Vikings mail, they will not get answered. Yeah, tag them also with hashtag Vikings mail. And no, none of them are about Derek Wetmore. They save those for the iTunes comments. So I take like all it. your Derek Wetmore complaints or Whitemore or Wetmore or however you uh, Wet Sox. write it out. So what does Wetmore um, do? Like just start rambling about different things during your podcast? Well, here's the thing. Ben, yeah. Explain this to um, me. Derek used to come on with me every Wednesday when yeah. then you and I would do the podcast after games on Sundays. Sure. Uh, Derek and I would do it midweek uh, from Winter Park on Wednesdays. And so whenever we would do it, Derek, being a baseball guy, not knowing football very much, would, you know. <laughs> wow. Not very no, 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 no. He was open about it on well, the podcast. Fine. And people know that. Listeners kind know that. He's frat bro that's thing like, for you to say, isn't no, it? No, no, shut up. That's you hate like, baseball. He hates football. I see you hate that. hockey, too. <laughs> I see but you do love hugs. Andrew Kramer loves hugs, folks. Hey, this is Manny Hill from The Ride with Royce. You're listening to the Purple Podcast. Obviously, that means you like the Vikings. Well, if you're also into the Wolves, you should check out the Raised by Wolves podcast, where we talk all things Minnesota Timberwolves. Subscribe to us on iTunes and at the Podcast Center at 1500ESPN.com. Anyway, do you want to get back to what's wrong with Wetmore? I mean, there oh, was sorry, a lot. Of, I didn't mean to let's get, get back to the important topics. I didn't mean to get what's wrong with Derek Wetmore? I'm sorry. There's I'm a lot sorry. wrong with him. But. <laughs> anyway, Derek was open about that, and he would always try to lean on me, and I would basically talk for 30 of the 40 minutes on the podcast. But the 10 minutes, Derek would try to add some humor into it, and so he derailed the conversation purposely. Apparently, people didn't like that. That's what because well, the people come here for Vikings content. They come here for hot takes, or as Ben would call them, "you people." You people <laughs> come here. It's the listeners, you people. <laughs> Let's get to a mailbag though before we end this. All right, mailbag. Josh would like to know what is the pre-draft depth chart at flanker, slot wide receiver, and split end. Oh, this is getting in depth. Actually, we did have one comment or two on our uh, one review guy on iTunes say we need to be more in depth with our Vikings conversation. That's why I'm we, talking special teams. We don't get enough. That's why potatoes. I just broke down special teams. <laughs> special teams. Well, let's break down the X, Y, and Z receiver spots. one third of the game. Offense, defense, special teams. All right, guys, this is how I see it right now. Last year, Stefan Diggs was the X, right? Yep. Mike Flanker, Mike Flanker, Mike Wallace was the flanker at Z. And then Jarius Wright, obviously being the um, slot at Y. I see that staying the same with Jarius. I, I assume the Vikings are going to move Stefan Diggs over to flanker. That's my assumption. Don't know that for a fact. Haven't seen them on the field um and then the assumption is they will draft uh or look to draft a split end or have charles johnson maybe step into that role ben i would agree with that my sort of curiosity is what if they don't get a receiver that can be the x i mean do you trust charles johnson or cordero patterson i mean we've seen flashes from 
from Cordero. We've seen probably a little more than flashes from Charles Johnson, but we're a little ways removed from seeing anything consistent from either of those guys. It'll be interesting to see what they do if they don't get the receiver they they seem to be looking for. In that case, maybe Diggs stays as the X. Does Adam Thielen get a bigger role? I mean, he's, he's we've seen some flashes there. Again, nothing probably more than flashes, but is he a guy that gets a little bit bigger role? He's a the guy they went to over Charles Johnson. Yeah, last it year. is. Yeah. And he's a former Mr. Mankato. <laughs> Stop with it. <laughs> Judd was going to chime in until that. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> Give me uh, uh, two things from you guys uh, when, when it comes to this position. Give me your expectations, I guess realistically, for Charles Johnson and Cordero. Because, I mean, some of this, some of this conversation, and in my opinion, the ship has sailed on Cordero, but I might be wrong. Um, a lot of this conversation does involve those two because one disappeared last year and one was basically put out to pasture. Is there any bringing Patterson back? And does Charles Johnson now, do we say, well, he was hurt last year and he sort of fell out of the rotation, but now he's a viable candidate to see serious playing time again in 2016? Yeah, I think that's the case with Charles Johnson anyway. I can't say that with Cordero Patterson. Uh, I think Charles Johnson's a guy who showed in 2014, and we all saw the connection he could make with Teddy Bridgewater, and that's why it was so puzzling of why he fell off the map last year. Um, I think the expectations are that Charles Johnson should be able to come in and compete for a job unless they take a guy at 23rd overall, then you assume he's going to be the guy. But um, Cordero, though, man, you got to see something before you ever believe it. Yeah, with Charles Johnson, I also wouldn't discount that injury he had last year. The sense that I got was that that was probably bothering him more than he wanted to let on. I mean, that that rib injury he was dealing with after it was the play in the San Diego game where – Teddy threw an interception. I think he was trying to come back for the ball. He hurt his ribs on that play, and I, I think that was something that probably affected him more throughout the year than he probably wanted to let on. So I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if you see him be a little bit more of a factor if he's healthy because we all thought going into the season, we thought he was going to have a great year. I, I went all in on him in more than one fantasy football league, and, and that certainly did not work out. But that was uh, a test right there. That, <laughs> I mean, that's, but you, you put your fantasy team where your mouth is, and I was telling other people to draft him too. So. But still, I mean, I still go back to that catch he made at Soldier Field against the Bears. Yeah, that it was catch a, one of the, the best game. catches of, se- of I mean, the that, season. Without that catch, Blair Walsh doesn't get to kick that field goal. I mean, that catch was incredible. Where does that catch rank among the biggest plays made by a Vikings receiver last season? Oh, last season? Only? Yeah. Way well, Stefan Diggs is Diggs diving, two, yeah, is diving 35-yard touchdown yep. Detroit. And the catch and run in the Bears game. Yeah. Does yep. Wallace even factor into that conversation? I don't think mm, – I, I don't remember so. one. I mean, if he had caught the ball, if he had caught the deep shot in San Francisco in week one where he could have fought off the defensive back, it would have been a great catch and a tough right. catch, but it was a catchable ball, then that factors in, but he didn't catch that. Um, I would say – I mean, to me, if you're asking me wide receiver plays that stand out from last year – that Charles Johnson catch is up there because that was a really nice catch. Yeah. I mean, he skied for that ball. So it's on the podium, right? They had so I mean, few. Those, yeah. yeah, they had so yes. few downhill or down downfield. Excuse me, throws and completions. That yeah, you're right. I think that's got to be number yeah. one. I mean, that's uh, yeah. Him and the, the the two that Diggs made are the ones that immediately stick out in my mind. Yeah. The no, the one in the Lions game, the one in the Bears game. Yep. So we'll move on, Bobby. Wants to know. Actually, no, I'm not going to. Bobby Not going to ask that question. Actually, well, what about objectionable, offensive? It wasn't objectionable to you people just, out there. It was a question that probably belonged on a different radio. Is station. it from Bobby Blanton? Oh, um, wow. oh, it might be objectionable. It, it said skull. Did it say go Vikings? It probably did. Go Vikings. Was it there probably, a hashtag? It probably did. get Zolgad off the show. 
Let's stick with the receivers one more time. I'm seeing a lot of people, Cheezel says, who thinks that 84 Cordero Patterson will be much less effective with the new kickoff return rule. Uh, he says he disagrees. He wants to know our opinions. Well, first of all, I think it's going to wholeheartedly depend on how kickoff teams treat it, right? Yes. It's going to be all dependent on whether or not teams say, I'm going to try to mortar kick this to the you know two, three, four-yard line um, and try to prevent a 25-yard return, or I'm just going to let them take the extra five yards on a touchback. Do you dare – so with this rule, does the league get what it wants, which is – I would guess it wants more touchbacks because it eventually it wants to eliminate kickoffs, or do you get what Kramer just said, more mortar kicks or more short kicks because teams now don't want touchbacks? I can't figure out – if this rule is going to work like I think the league wants it to work or if it's going to blow up in their face and we are going to get more returns. And if it doesn't work the way the league wants it to work, do they take the next step and say, you're not getting the hint, we're getting rid of this play? They're trying to incentivize it enough that teams will take a knee and, and just take the ball to the 25-yard right, line. Right, but do special teams now, do kickers not, are they told? Right, I mean, Anderson that's the question. Could happen. Don't you think that totally depends on the returner then? Game by game, week by week? Probably. I mean, that's the situation, it's really going to, I think it's going to depend on all that. And with Cordero, though, he's probably going to be one of the guys they say, okay, we'll take the extra 25, right? Because the Vikings, at least, when you looked at the stats, um, Cordero, Ben, I know we get into this argument because you think him taking it out of the nine, and then adding on, you know, he gets to the 22 or something, he's got a, what would that be? 31-yard return. Exactly. So that's that's Those are yardage. empty yards. Empty yardage, you say it doesn't count. Me, anyway, I look at, for instance, Football Outsiders said that they had the second best um, – well, I should back up. You were saying that to your point that Cordero shouldn't take that many from nine. My point back, is right? don't look at his gross return average and say, oh, this is why he's a great receiver. Look at their field position and see where that puts him. Okay. He was first last year in average kickoff return yardage, I believe, somewhere around 31 yards. Housing two of those will help, too. <laughs> yes, and housing two of those will definitely help. But you look at Football Outsiders. They put together, they do all the advanced analytics, and they came up with that. After kickoff returns, the Vikings have the second-best field goal, or excuse me, field position on their side uh, of all NFL teams. So that goes to show, and it was around the 25-yard line. But now a knee is going to get you there. So it goes to show that it was working a little bit what he was doing. I mean, overall, on average, it was getting them farther than most NFL teams. Yeah, and is that because he's taking the ball out? Is that because teams are afraid of him and they're kicking away, they're kicking short? We didn't see that too much last Not year. Not as much, yeah. but there there probably were some where he was able to, to get to the 26, 27-yard line on a return. You know, maybe it's a 22-yard return from the five. I mean, he's still enough of a threat, I think, that people were probably accounting for that. My question, and it'll be very interesting to see how this works out, because, yes, now you have a lot more incentive to take a knee on a ball that's nine yards deep in the end zone your base, the bet is basically if you're taking a ball out nine yards in the end zone, you're Cordero Patterson. You're betting on yourself to be able to return at 35 yards. Otherwise, it is not worth it to bring the ball out. And Cordero has also done other to end this. He's also done other, I think, bonehead things at times to no, perhaps not Cordero Mason Crosby. Them, well, not want part, to have him do that and the fumble. And part the, of this the is going to come down Lambo leap and a lot of this is going to come down to what he's told to do, though, uh, because if you figure. Let's figure that teams are actually going to get touchbacks from the Vikings because they still respect Cordero's returnability enough, especially if the special teams is good. Um, my guess is that now it comes down to, okay, the ball is nine yards deep in the end zone. What does Prefer tell them to do? And, and they might say at this point, take a knee then because the field position is just too good to pass up. 
Unless you're against a bad, unless you're against a bad coverage unit, yeah. in which case you might chance it. But wow, this could really diminish his loan. I have asset no, to this team. Just league wise, I have no idea how this is going to work up, and I think it might blow up in the league's face. In fairness to Cordero, no, I looking at our ESPN stats and info people, he was third in the league among guys that had at least twenty kick returns last year of the percentage of kicks he brought out past the twenty yard line. So, in fairness to him. Yes, he probably took some chances that some would deem unnecessary. There were certainly times that I thought he should have taken a knee. But by and large, he was fairly successful at getting past the 20-yard line. It'll be interesting to see when he moved out to the 25, how many of those returns would still meet the threshold of being better than a touchback. All right, guys. Jason would like to know. How's that for wonky? It's good. It's good. People that want us to break it down more. You people appreciate it. You people. You people. You people. Jason wants to know which Viking re-signing was the most important. Judd? Re-signing. So they had Mike Harris, Terrence Newman, Anderson Dejo, your favorite. <laughs> Can I say none get me that excited? Matt Asiata? Keep going. Touchdown Vulture? Keep throwing names out. Chad Greenway? Okay, keep throwing names Brad out. Brad Ellison? <laughs> keep throwing names out. <laughs> I mean, just went. Audi Terrence Cole, Newman? Kenrick Terrence. Ellis. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. I <laughs> just went through all of them. Um, Terrence Newman? <laughs> there's not one that excites me that much. No, he, they, he didn't say, Judd, which one tickles your fancy? He said, Judd, which one was the most important for the Vikings? Bill Lodol? <laughs> no, because I don't think he'll make the roster. I'm just throwing out names. No, I know. I'm just saying that, um, all right, for lack of a better, for lack of a better choice it was here, exciting. Yeah, I would say... I would say Newman because he did a nice job last season, and while I don't necessarily think he's going to start all of 2016, Hello, he does Newman. provide a veteran presence there, which can be nice to have. I mean, Greenway's nice to have back, but you know, they, Chad, as much as I like him personally, can be replaced at this point. Newman can as well, but there is a but there's a veteran presence with a guy like that, and he played well last year. I guess that would be my top one, but, I, but nothing. No, I'm serious. Nothing gets me that excited. I mean, Mike Harris <laughs> is nice to have back because it gives you depth and potential competition there. Uh, but there's nothing that I looked at when I saw the free agent list going yeah. in, into the offseason okay. and said, got to keep that guy or they're in trouble. So I'll go Terrence Newman. See, I, I would say Newman. I'm, I guess I'm a little more excited about it or at least a little more emphatic about it because if you don't have him back – you are then counting on Trey Waynes to be the guy from day one. Eleventh overall pick. I want to count on him. In sure, two. but we haven't seen it yet. Well, got to do it. Got to go. You could do that. Got to go. But then who's your third corner? Your third outside corner, not Captain oh, Munnerlin. Jabari Price. Jabari. Well, yeah. Well, no, I said Newman too, but I'm just saying that Trey Waynes. Listen, if Newman blocks Waynes or Waynes has not developed for two years, yes, I'm going to be problem. very disappointed. Correct. There, you yeah, don't. At this point, Newman has to be, and he, maybe last year he even was too. Your fail safe. I would hope yeah. that I would hope that Newman is more there next season to tell Waynes what he did wrong when he's coming off the field. And that's his biggest. Then Newman is coming off the field, and Waynes is still playing a lot of special teams. And I think Newman, that's going to be, and has been, his biggest contribution. We can talk about the three interceptions in, in his play, but I think really that's been the biggest thing is hopefully him bringing along some of those younger guys. And he knows exactly help. what Zimmer wants, which is a yeah. good thing. But I want Trey Waynes playing a lot next season, and, and if he's not – Let's all sound an alarm. Boy. I say it's Mike Harris because I think it prevents you from having to start Brandon Fusco, who you don't know. Okay, is he really screwed up now after that transition? Is he really an awful guard? There's a lot of speculation about how bad Fusco is. But he's going back to right guard now where he's far more comfortable and he was yeah, a contributing player. You assume, but we assumed he'd be fine on the switch. Well, but uh, but but that was unfair. I mean, I 
I remember to this day when Artis Hicks, who was a veteran journeyman, came to the Vikings from Philadelphia, and he had been a right guard. No, he had been a left guard. Vikings had Hutchinson, and they moved Hicks to right guard. And I remember doing a story on him for the strip back then during training camp and talking to him about the switch. And he's like, all right, because smart guy. He said, I want you to take everything you do today and do it left-handed. So I want you to write left-handed. I want you to I want you to be left-handed dominant for today. And he said, then you'll know what I'm trying to do by going from the left side where I was comfortable to the right side. So I, I think we underestimate the fact that Fusco was not asked to make an easy transition. And I don't think we should be really surprised by the fact that he failed at it. And I also don't think we should be shocked when he goes back to where he's comfortable and is fine again. That's the hope, anyway. That, well, I mean, we're assuming we're assuming that the year the move completely screwed him up. I'm thinking more like the move screwed him up, but now we're going back to him no, I riding to, a bike. I've talked to Brandon after the season, anyway, and he felt like it was more than that. He felt like it was his strength was poor, uh, and again, that can shed light on them canning the strength and conditioning leader afterward, but he felt like it was more than just the switch, and so I don't know if that's going to be the, the savior. Anyway, I just think, though, that bringing Mike Harris back, guy that started 17 games for you, you've now got an option there. It's not just, yeah, competition's good, it's not just Fusco or bust. All right, guys. Uh, we got one more. Logan wants to know if I can find this question. It's probably a good idea to have them do like your a preparation on these Vikings questions. Is See? Atrocious today. See, you're not grading out well. Wow, you are not grading out well on questions today. Maybe I feel maybe like the rant not... about the hashtag was well placed. The hmm. rant about the hashtag. Yeah. Would not you say, you people? I found it. Zimmer is known for rotating his D-line. Logan wants to know, with the new additions, do you see him doing the same with the offensive line? And I will say with an emphatic what? fat no. no. And I'll let you guys what? elaborate. No. It's not even comparable. And Tony Sprano is not going to be, if you are rotating offensive li- linemen next, unless you're Bill Belichick who gets away with all types of weird stuff. No, they did that, though, because they didn't have and it was a mess. starting offensive No, line. you do not. If you are rotating offensive linemen, Something has gone wrong. Go pull the fire alarm at that point. That is a that's a, a complete disaster if you have to do that. That's all I got to say about that. That Ben's got sums nothing. it up. Ben's oh, got. I mean, nothing. it's really as Nicki Minaj would say, "Pound the alarm." The only time that you Does want she say that, I think so. <laughs> I think that's her song. The, o- the only <laughs> time, guys, the only time the you want to bring an, uh, an offensive lineman on the field to sort of. Mix in is when you go to that jumbo package, baby. That's yeah, it. bring in the extra tackle. But that's yeah, the extra no, you one. Don't, you don't like rotate like the heavy package. You don't like rotate no, to like Barry keep them fresh. The yes, your package heavy. teams. That was the greatest. We all wrote fan, stories Jared. about Kevin Barry and the heavy package, and it'd be great. You were sitting in the press box with your cheese head on. We get some odd questions. How'd you find though? out about that? That you're a Packer fan? No, that I I wore a cheese head. It's just a, a it's an urban legend. Oh, that's on the street, Judd. Everybody knows that. And then I just, you know, I just sit there and go, it's like, what, what am I doing? I don't want to work. That's not I the theme song to this show, all day. That's not the theme what song a, What an show. awful song. <laughs> Rundgren, right? Yeah. Todd Rundgren, who actually did some good stuff. It, that's such a bad song. How the hell did he record that piece of crap? Did you know that that was Very who Liv like Tyler initially say, thought leave. was her dad? Wait, what? You know, I did know that. I have read that. Like it was the mom basically was like such a groupie. She's like, well, I hooked up with Todd Rundgren and Steven Tyler around the same time. I can't remember which one it was. So it could be either one of these guys. How long would it take if, if you're Liv to look in the mirror and realize you're a spitting <laughs> image of Steven Tyler and be like, I think my name's right? Todd Rundgren. Uh, no, you look no, just like Steven yeah, Tyler. Yeah, she does. 
We're still good at derailing this podcast, aren't we? Yeah. Liv's we, great, by the way. We don't need you, Derek. I miss her. She was fantastic. She's I can't remember her doing much else other than Armageddon, which was a terrible movie. Oh, she movie. did. Um, what's the uh, What's the Tom Hanks music film? She was the, oh that thing you do. That thing you do. She's fantastic in that. Well, Liv That's Tyler a, was also in Lord of the Rings. She was. Was she? Yeah, she was the elf daughter that was she like was with Aragorn. Yeah, she was. Come on. Oh, she looked just like Stephen Tyler. It wasn't Stephen Tyler. No, but she <laughs> looks just like him. No, nah, she don't look so like she, him in that movie. Really? She looked like a, a woman. <laughs> well, wow. She normally looks like a woman. Have, I have think, you ever seen but, Stephen Tyler? By the way. Oh, okay. I, I he looks sort of like a chick himself. <laughs> yes, I totally get what you're saying, but my point is, is that it's not that bad. Well, I'm not saying she's cute. Bad. I'm not putting her down. I'm just saying she looks like her old man. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. It's in the genes, family. She looks more like her old man than she does Todd Rundgren. Anyway. Yeah, and nobody. I say it like it's a compliment, though. Almost like, look, I'm just saying. Well, she doesn't look like Todd Rundgren, and I think the story's funny. But anyway, that's. By, <laughs> but back to my point. That Rundgren song was is your... awful. It's like he recorded some good songs. How do you it, like? How it do you wake up one day Bay, and, though, and you're like, I got this? Well, yeah, it does. But I mean, you've got this song going through your head. You're like, I don't want to work. I just want. I mean, who records that crap? By the way, the Packers' best tradition, and I don't know if they do this to this day, but the best tradition that they had would actually be after losses at Lambeau. John Cougar Mellencamp's "Small Town" is their song after losses. At least it was when I covered them. It's well, yeah, I guess the first time we covered a loss. A Packers lost what they play. was last year, right? What, when they lose going off the field. Oh, yeah, but I wasn't paying attention to what was. Well, yeah, I wasn't and, either. And, the and you can't hear anything in that press box. is sealed. But I was down on the field a couple times, and the song when the Packers lost as they came off the field was Small Town. Wait, so how do you know that then if the press box is sealed? Were you Because I was down on the field a couple times. You were probably an old memo, too. Were you in a four jersey sitting in the stands? Is that what we're talking about here? Back in my day covering them, you could actually get down on the field at the end of games. And that's where I was. I mean, that's not to be confused with the time that I was in a free jersey back in the early 2000s. He did what? I've been to Packer games in the stands. I've been to Packer games in the stands at the old, unremodeled Lambo when it was basically a shed. Yeah, it looks like a. Uh, a I was there Deere. for the '99 Vikings loss when uh, Corey Bradford. When uh, yes, and Chris Carter went nuts on uh, Jimmy Hitchcock. Ah, yes, I was at that game. '94 opener, Vikings and um, Packers in Lambo. I just turned three years old. Rich Gannon was the uh, starting quarterback yeah, for that game. Was he not? <laughs> I, I'm done with today's podcast. Kramer just wait. Told, did he just say he turned? I was three? 24 and he turned three. Oh, we need to 90, cut this off. 94 season. Yeah. yeah. All right. All <laughs> right. Dookie Hauser, you want to wrap it up? <laughs> well, thank you guys Child for checking prodigy, out this you people. episode of the Purple Podcast. Now, please send all the Percy Harvin questions to Ben Gessling. 95% of Uber Eats orders are on time, which is great because when I want my spicy shrimp pad thai, I want it on time. Because baby, there's no time like the present, especially when it's pad thai related. But on the off chance your order is late, Uber Eats will give you three months, $0 delivery fee with a free Uber One membership. On time, pad thai, baby. On time claim based on latest arrival time shown after order is placed. Offer ends to 19 Current Uber One members not eligible. Subscription will auto-renew at nine ninety nine each month, starting three months from initial enrollment. See Uber.com slash Uber One for terms. Benefits available only for eligible stores. Order minimums apply.